Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio on a Monday afternoon with Peter Williams. Well, the documentary movie River of Freedom premieres at the Civic in Auckland tomorrow night, Tuesday, September the 5th. The title is a play on the infamous phrase used by the now disgraced former cabinet minister Michael Wood when describing the anti-mandate and freedom protesters at Parliament in February and March of last year. The documentary's director is Gaylene Barnes, who is with me now, with only a short time left before the Auckland premiere. Thanks for joining us here, Gaylene. Firstly, I understand there's been a very large, very enthusiastic response to the movie as measured in ticket sales. So how many are you expecting at the Civic in Auckland tomorrow night? Yeah, g'day, how are you? Uh, we're pretty excited to have sold uh, about 1,100 tickets to the Civic Theatre. So we've booked the, the stalls and one circle. Uh, we, we won't open up the upper circle. So we are hoping that we fill it, I think it's about 1,200 seats it can take. Wow, that's fantastic! And also, we've sold out the uh, the embassy, which is on uh, in Wellington on Thursday night, and we've also sold out um, Christchurch about four hundred and fifty on Wednesday night. So that's really very encouraging. It looks as if there's going to be over two thousand people see this documentary movie in its first week of release. So, what happens after the three main centres? Does it go around the rest of the country? Oh, yes, yes. Look, we're getting cinemas um, on board every day. Um, today, we've just had the Dargaville Cinema sign up, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, we've got about 15 cinemas right throughout the country who have agreed. Are there, um, is there any difficulty, any difficulty, though, any pushback from some theatres who don't want to show it because of its content? Yeah, yeah, Um Definitely there's some that are saying no because of the content. Some are saying no because their schedule is full and they, they might accept it later. Um, yeah, and, and some just don't think that their audience would be interested in it, but um, we're just getting emails all the time and messages, you know, wanting it in their town. And so we're really hoping to get it into as many cinemas as possible for the next two or three weeks and then open it up to... Um, maybe community screenings or, or private bookings later later on. We really want to give the cinemas a chance to, um, you know, to to do their job and show a film <laughs> made by New Zealanders. Indeed. Uh, what about distribution chains? Because I understand that when movies come from Hollywood or even New Zealand drama productions, they are in the theatres, they're, they're distributed by distribution companies. I don't know the names of them mm. because I'm not very close to the industry, but I'm sure there are brand names that will be familiar to, to many people inside the film industry. So have you thought about going that way and having a commercial distributor do this work for you? Well, uh, right from the start, I mean, you know, I, I went to Bluff to film this convoy and to make a documentary. That was my purpose right from the very beginning. And... Um, I have already self-distributed another film in cinemas, another documentary, and I didn't think it was very hard. <laughs> this is <laughs> a little bit more challenging. This one, um, uh, it, it's you know, it's a wonderful opportunity to to meet and talk to cinema owners directly. And you know, 
the first few that came on board with us were very, because, you know, obviously things changed. The first dis- film I distributed was about five years ago. And so, you know, there's uh, different techniques now. So we've had really good support from um, Deluxe, who actually um, take the the print, the DCP, it's called, and distribute it directly to all the cinemas. And, you know, we've just been sort of feel, feeling our way in Focal Point, um, Cinema and Fielding, Hastings, Levin and Palmerston. They were one of the first ones on board and they've been really helpful, as well as State Cinema and Mochueca. Um and also really happy to have Rialto Cinemas in Newmarket. That's quite a big cinema, and that's the big one in Auckland for everybody. So um, so they've been really helpful in helping us as independent distributors. We're independent filmmakers, and uh, we just know in New Zealand it's easy to do. We've had inquiries from Australia and you know people in Brisbane and Sydney who want it, and that's a little bit more complicated. So we did just reach out recently to Madman, to, you know, because they distribute in Australia and I've also got one of my other films with them but they did say it was a very hard pass uh, for them, they're not interested and they have zero interest in this particular film and its content. Okay. So I expect, you know we have a a unique audience and our primary audience is um, you know, the people who participated, the people, the thousands hundreds of thousands potentially people who um, supported the protest and supported the aims of the protest and so we just know that we have an audience here and so we didn't feel um, like we needed to get a another distributor on board. Okay. Uh, what about putting it online? I know that Michael Moore, the independent American filmmaker, has released some documentaries in recent times where he hasn't gone to the theatres. He's essentially asked for a pay-per-view arrangement through the internet. Have you thought about doing that, or is that something that you might consider down the, down the track in years to come? Yeah, we'll look into that in about three months. We've made a commitment to cinemas that we won't put it online. And this is a cinema. It's a, it's a feature documentary. It's a cinematic film. We've got surround sound. You know, we've gone to a lot of expense to get an amazing sound mix and with our music. And so it's a cinema experience. And the other reason I really love the cinema as opposed to online is it brings people together again. You know, it's a place where we can connect and we can sort of sit beside each other and laugh and cry together. You know, there's something really special about that cinematic experience and sitting alone on a by your computer or on your phone it's 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 part of this problem with our society isn't it that we're not getting out and talking to each other oh absolutely no i think it's fantastic what you are doing and i'm just so pleased that so many theatres uh, around New Zealand, whether they be part of a chain or are independent uh, theatres in some of the smaller towns, are so enthusiastic about about taking your production. Uh, let's talk about the documentary, its beginnings, uh, the people involved in it shortly. But I'm intrigued by this interaction you've had with a reporter from Stuff named Francis Chin. Now, I don't think you need to be too uh, bright to realise that stuff are not going to be overly enthusiastic about your film. Uh, but, gee, the, uh, the the first reaction you had from this so-called reporter was extraordinary. So tell us about this, Gaylene. Oh, yeah, it was um, just a 
hanging out, doing things. And then this email popped up saying, um, I'm a journalist for stuff and I'm writing an article about your premiere that you directed, River of Freedom, and she, she knew where it was. It was at the embassy, the Civic, the Hoyts, and she makes it quite clear statement. I am going to publish that the documentary is promoting anti-vaccination and anti-mandate views, which stuff and the disinformation project Kate Hanna clearly classify as disinformation. Would you or anyone else involved in the production care to speak with me about this article? So when I got this, I was like, initially, I was like, oh, yay, stuff have noticed us. <laughs> because the easiest thing for them to do would be to ignore us, right? And that is their their MO. But, and the second thing I was, um, yeah, I was unsettled by the assumption that she had made so quickly without seeing the documentary. Did you know and that she hadn't seen it? Had you had you become yeah, aware that she had, had, you, yeah. you had uh, I mean, she hadn't had, had a viewing? Media, yeah. Yeah, we've had media approach us and ask to see the film before they'll make comment on it, you know, which is wise <laughs> and shows their integrity, you know, such as Chris Lynch. He actually um, said, can I please view it? And he viewed it. And then the next day we had an interview and he was, you know, supportive because he had seen the film and he knows what it's about. Yeah. Um, so that just signals a, a real journalist's integrity. Um Unfortunately, I just, I think maybe, you know, that particular journalist had overset the market, I think, um, in some of the email exchange, it has been noted that um, she didn't quite address her question correctly by the chief news reporter at Stuff. He's come back and... <laughs> Gosh, I wonder what... <laughs> I wonder what training school this this woman went to because to make an approach to a filmmaker such as that and make the bald-faced statements that she did is just, well, it just says she's not a journalist. She's um, she's an activist and unfortunately way too much of stuff so-called reporting is activism. Anyway, so what's yeah. been the outcome of that, Gaylene? Has there been a story published? Is there going to be a story published? Are you going to allow this this woman, Frances Chin, to see the movie before its premiere? Oh, I think there's just been a little bit of trust lost there, unfortunately. Um, we're, you know, we asked... You know, we want to, I mean, I did talk to her respectfully and she sent through some questions and I answered her questions. You know, her first question was, what is the documentary about? <laughs> Gee. Uh, but then she did it. <laughs> and then she did ask the question, if I called the documentary a disinformation film, would you agree with this? She seriously asked like, you that? She asked me this question and... Honestly, I feel like I'm talking to toddlers. It's just so I just feel that probably I won't. I mean, I did reply. I said, well, um, I find it unsettling that you would make a bold assumption given him watched the film. And I invited her to actually come and see the film um, and make her own conclusions. But the word disinformation is, you know, I think we need to be careful as a country about how we're using this word to describe anyone, any, you know, any information, because that signals an intent to cause harm, you know, and she is accusing me of intent to cause harm and my film, like, of course, that's not what I'm trying to do with a film. The f I'm hoping the film will act as a unifying force. 
So that's what disinformation means. It's the intent to spread false information and cause harm with intent to do that. It's a, it's a malicious sort of act. So, um, yeah, it's just I think uh, we need to be a lot more careful about our definitions. About using that word. And, of course, there's the long shadow casting over stuff and over this particular exchange between you and that stuff reporter, the shadow of the mm. disinformation project, uh, the infamous yeah. Kate Hanna and Sanjawa mm. Hatatua who talk about disinformation and misinformation but never actually produce any examples of it. They just say, this is disinformation. Well, this particular mm. book, story, film, documentary is disinformation but never actually explain what the problem is. So mm. when, when Stuff in their reply said, we, we trust the disinformation project as a credible source, of, yes, of explaining do. what mm -hmm. disinformation is, then again, surely more eyebrows are raised, aren't they? Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I... I think you've done the yeah, right I, thing, Gaylene. You have respectfully withdrawn from the, from the contest. Well, I, they didn't publish the article by the looks of it. And so, um, I, I, you know, to be honest, I hope they send a film reviewer and. To, to view the film and just to do a, a film review, which, which would make more sense. It's a creative expression. I, I, we're in a free country. I'm free to express whatever I like and, you know, the opinions of the people in the film is their expression as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, to call it disinformation when it's a genuinely held um, personal experience, often based on, you know, an experience that they've had. That's not disinformation, that's just experience. Well, how could it be disinformation um, yeah. anyway? Because it's it's fly on the wall, it's, it's actuality. It was shot at the time, wasn't it? Shot from the mm. start of the convoys, it was shot at Parliament, it includes interviews with people involved in the protest. It can't be disinformation mm -hmm. because it is the genuinely held beliefs and the actions and, and activities of the protest and the convoy during those rather mm -hmm. tumultuous weeks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a record of, um, yeah, of what people thought and felt and I'm trying to under, unpack why um, they were there, why they went on the convoy, you know, what the reasons were, what the conditions were that were created to, to propel that movement you know, so that's in the first part of the film. We try and explain that. Um, yeah, so uh, I think, and then and then when we get to Parliament, we unpack it a bit more. I, you know, I, I, I don't try not to leave any stone unturned, but of course can't include everything. But, um, uh, you know, I've got an art history degree, so I feel equally qualified to talk about disinformation. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Hey, so tell us how you how you got involved in this. Where where did your interest in such a project uh, get uh, get sparked? What what was the what was the ignition for you about going down to Bluff at the start of the convoy? What made you decide that you would get involved in a project like this? Um, well, like like everybody else, I was locked out of society. And um, feeling getting grumpier and grumpier, and but you were you were and, not you know, vaccinated, and you didn't have the vaccine pass, and you couldn't 
do much in life, huh? You were frustrated yeah, about the places no you I, could go. Yeah, there was, there was no way I was going to subscribe to a vaccine pass to show us your papers type um, uh, society. I, uh, the, beyond the privacy issues with that, the, um, the discrimination and, you know, anyway, so just general feeling quite um, despondent and alone, you know, just like everybody else, <laughs> locked away in your little world, you know, and um, I, but I knew as a documentary maker in Christchurch how important it is to be Johnny on the spot right, right at the beginning of things. And, uh, you know, like with that, with earthquake documentaries, I've spent a whole decade making those after 20 years. 10 and 2011 earthquakes in Christchurch. And um, and so I also understand how important it is to interview the real people involved and to just record these events and to so that we can view them as a nation and, you know, work it out how, how we can move forward and, you know, a record for the future. So, um, so I just knew I needed, you know, that this was going to be a major event and I needed to document it. And I'm, as soon as the New Zealand truckies, you know, little thing came through on the Facebook, I'm like, I knew right away this little still voice in my heart was saying, was actually well, was screaming at me, go, <laughs> go and film it, get your camera out. Fortunately, I had, you know, had a camera. Um, it wasn't the best one, but it's kind of an interesting one. It's a little sort of antique thing, but it's does quite an aesthetic sort of um, cinematic shots um that i yeah i just knew i had to had to get to bluff and i had to be there from the beginning with the people who are organizing it so i organized myself and organized my friend heidi who who was also interested to go, go down there and then i arranged a cinematographer to film the north island in cape Rianga, and that was um kate, uh, mark lapwood who i didn't realize was an amazing cinematographer <laughs> like top top notch in new zealand so he was really excited to go to Cape Rianga and do it. So that's how it started. And, you know, I just thought it would be a day or a couple of days. And you just don't know what's going to unfold when you start these journeys as a filmmaker. So I remained directing and filming alongside a collective of, of really amazing other filmmakers that we met up with in Wellington. So I was filming right up until March the 2nd. And then we left when one of us was shot by the New Zealand police. What? What happened? I can't tell you. It's in the film. <laughs> really? But you were saying that one of your workers was shot by the New Zealand police? By a sponge brick grenade. They, you know, they brought those out at 10 to 6. <sighs> okay. It's uh, quite good, actually. We actually yeah. filmed it, funnily <laughs> enough. I didn't realise. You've we just increased the suspense a so... hundredfold here, Gailey, and this sounds fantastic. Drama at the end, right? Yeah, well, that's what you want in a film, isn't it? Of course it is. <laughs> you want the, the dramatic climax, no doubt about that. So oh. all up then from the start of the convoy, you, are we talking about, what, a six- to eight-week project here? In terms of filming? Yeah. I mean, when did when did they assemble in Bluff? Was that beginning of February? Uh, they. They assembled in Bluff, uh, well, the 6th of February was the day they left Bluff, and we went down there on the 4th, and I interviewed um, 
Jess Hudson, who from New Zealand truckies, very, I, I didn't really get much of a chance with her because she was so stressed. Like, really, they'd only had one week to sort of pull this thing together. And then also Derek Broom, Broomhall, so, um, and because he was sort of the pilot vehicle. So I sort of was staying with them. And then we went to Bluff and it began on the 6th. It went through to Picton on the 7th and then through to Wellington on the 8th of February. And I stayed in Picton, actually, but there are other filmmakers who sort of picked up the baton in the, in the Wellington. We never didn't know the whole convoy was going to stay that long. you know. So I eventually went over um, to, to Wellington on the 19th, I think, of February. I, I was filming in Picton camp. So the protest was well underway by the time you arrived at Parliament then? Yeah, so actually, I think it's about 26 days of filming. And then we did... The process was well underway when I arrived, yeah. Okay. Can, um, I, uh, can I ask a, a question as somebody who's been involved a bit in television but in state television where there was always plenty of cash floating around, how did you fund all this? Because this is not TVNZ expenses here, is it? No. I. You know, initially I did try to go down that New Zealand on air TVNZ route. You know, you're familiar with that, I imagine. You have to talk to one of the state broadcasters and they go, oh, yes, we'd love that. And then you can go to New Zealand on there and get money. And, you know, I tested the waters a little bit there and thought and realised not going to happen. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of the actual original filming, everyone just contributed their time. But, you know, it's just what we all did as New Zealanders. You know, like I came with my skills as a director and a not a great camera person, but an okay camera person and, a re, and an editor. I'm a very professional, experienced um, documentary editor. You know, the people came with administration skills to Parliament. They came as cooks. They came as speakers or as MCs or musicians. Everyone brought their gifts and their skills to this um, protest and so my gift was that and I know that all the other filmmakers that we work with would agree with that statement. We, it was a gift during that time to film and document and and do what we do um, and so we really didn't we started to realise we needed to, I, money to sort of edit it, you know, the post-production side of it and um, I think that impulse to really get cracking was when stuff released fire and fury and um i just saw how the narrative was being shaped by the powerful and not in a not in a positive way and not in a healing or unifying sort of way and that um we needed to um we needed to just move things along a lot faster than just what we were doing. Uh, so we had a teaser out. It was about 11 minutes, and um, we published that pretty much straight away after that Fire and Fury and launched a buymeacoffee.com um, crowdfunding page. And um, So you raised, raised some well, funds to be able to finish the production as uh, a consequence of yeah. donations from the public. Donations from the public completely. Like, this has just been the most humbling experience and the most wonderful film to work on because of the encouraging messages we've been getting from the people donating. We've had 1,642 supporters. 
you know, even today someone gave us $25. Um, so all up, and most of the donations are between $25 and 200 do you know? Some people are just giving $5. That's fantastic. Um, so so have you $97,000? Yeah. Have your administrators done the sums? Have they added up what the final cost of the uh, the show is, or is that still <laughs> to be done? Um, yeah, yeah, that's still to be done. I mean, we're working at the moment on um, deferred um, fees towards most of the crew because, and most of the crew on board are pretty supportive and just want to get this film out. You know, yeah, there's yeah. been it's such the a cause. It's the cause that. more than the money. It's the cause, yeah, yeah, not not the money. So we've, you know, and that includes me and the producer and the administrators, <laughs> everybody. Sure. So sure. we've, you know, we've got real costs which we've had to pay, and you know, we've had just enough to do that. But we we're kind of at that point right now where it's quite um, a little terrifying because we had to pay for those three premieres. You know, that was sure, the sure. theatres but, but box office, no doubt, is going to help over the next few weeks, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a couple of thousand people uh, going to yeah. your movie in the first three days of release at the three premieres, uh, I don't imagine yeah. that that particular momentum is going to continue across the country. But if you, say, get... Fifty to a hundred thousand people viewing your your documentary uh, over the next few months, then that surely is going to help recover the budget, isn't it? It might even turn a wee profit for you, Gailey. <laughs> well, yeah, two things I, I, I'll say on that. I've always had a goal of at least a hundred or a hundred and twenty thousand people to go and see the film, and the reason I say that is not so much about. Um, getting a good box office, it's so that the film will not be forgotten. The story will not die because it will put it at the top documentary ever, you know, in that list of the best box office. Wow. And it's something that can't be ignored. So that's only 120,000 New Zealanders going and seeing the So film. what's number one on the, that list at the moment? Uh, number one is, I think it's the Top Twins and it's the Richie McCaw. Oh, right. The, yeah. the Richie McCaw documentary I saw, and with all due respect to Richie, who's a really nice guy, that was so boring. Gaylene, anyway, <laughs> I'm sure this is not. <laughs> it's not boring. <laughs> uh, we've, and also all the music we've got and everything. It's, just, it's quite a cinematic experience. Yeah, it sounds you know, like And it. so beyond that, it's not a, like, what we are hoping to do is, first of all, you know, like, we'll, pay our costs, pay our team, whatever, if we do reach that sort of thing. But it's still not, not for profit. Like, And we're hoping that all the donations that people have given us in order to get it going and kick it off, that we'll be paying that forward to, you know, to support other projects sure. that support the goals of the parliament protest. So, you know. Okay, Gavin, now, you know, like, can, you, can you tell me this? Uh, let's get away from, you know, the uh, these issues such as money and, and talk about the cause <laughs> and talk about the content, which is the key to everything, of course. You, you filmed for a month. You were there uh, during the protest, during the dramatic conclusion to it. Have you... Have you addressed the other side of the story as well? Have you, as well as talking to people at the protest, have you talked to those who did not want the protesters to be there? Who were angry about the disruption being caused to Wellington? Uh, the the politicians who 
did not want to meet with him, who did not meet with him. Uh, just the, I guess, the other side of the story. Is that included in, in the documentary at all? Well, my thesis is why were the people there on Parliament lawn and what were the reasons that brought them there? So those sorts of questions are not something I'm interested in. You know, uh, uh, this is a, a uh, isn't, you know, I'm not a journalist. You know, I don't, that whole balance thing is not a priority. <laughs> yeah, the irony of that, of course, me. is that Paula Penfold and her Fire and Fury people are supposed to be journalists, but they weren't balanced at all, were they, in the story they told? No, they weren't. And so and if we're going to look at it in, in terms of the um, plethora of product that is out there, the documentaries that are out there, then this will provide balance to that <laughs> in its own way. But, you know, I have made sure that I've covered over p- potentially what what the um, politicians, what, what their concerns, you know, why they went ahead and put forward vaccine mandates and passes and things, you know, and we discussed a little bit about the collective good versus individual freedoms, you know, like that was, yeah, they were sort of balancing that. So, um, you know, and we did certainly talk to people like, for instance, Alistair Boyce, who was affected by the protest. He had to shut down his um, Yeah, the backbencher backbencher across the road on Molesworth Street, yes. Mm. Yeah, so he he's in the film, and you know, of course, he was affected by it. But he did make a point, although it's not in the film, that he was not making money beforehand, and it actually was costing him to be open during level three at the time, because there were so many rules around how many people we could have, and um, you know, so it really, you know, so when I hear people say, "Oh, <laughs> you know, it made it difficult for us," it was difficult before. Because sure. of the um, restrictions of the um, level three, the traffic light arrangements that had, yeah, particularly for cafes and bars and things. Yeah. So the only politician in it, I take it, then is the Right Honourable Winston Raymond Peters, whom I saw in your trailer described as former Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, this is the, yeah. the the teaser piece that you put out last year, the one which was oh, basically right, yeah. the, the the little fundraising trailer. Uh, so yes, so so Winston is in that, isn't he? He's dressed impeccably there yeah. in his suit and and talking to people. And I mean, yeah. maybe yeah. that was the start oh, of his election know? campaign, <laughs> and and <laughs> he he found another another audience, oh, uh, another constituency. That was so funny. We were actually interviewing um, the three girls who were arrested at the time. And Heidi comes up and whispers in my ear as we were talking, you know, very intensely having this interview. Winston, Winston. And I'm going, shh, shh, shh. We're doing an interview here, Heidi. (laughs) And then he just comes wandering up up the path. And so we break the interview to go and talk to him. And actually one of the, um, the girls went and asked him a question about, you know, the police over active police policing around protest and you know he's a very much of a law and order man so he didn't um you know he was very he was still he's supportive of the police in, in their work um but you know we so we got in there and he did ask us if we were a fake media or not <laughs> because there were quite a few cameras going during this this time weren't there I'm talking about the non mainstream media cameras there's been at least one other 
documentary made using, from what I've seen of it, quite a lot of mobile phone footage. So is is yep. your documentary done, how can I put this, done with proper cameras as opposed to mobile phones or certainly mobile phones uh, that might have been used turned on their side so they're in landscape so they've got widescreen widescreen pictures instead of the the cut off borders that so oh. much of uh, the other documentary that I've seen has got um we're we, we're trying to play to our strengths which is our top quality um feature film footage which we have the majority of but there are just certain moments when we weren't there and you know that just were very quite intimate that are in on other um other phones or other film other cameras um and we've had a lot of people donate footage to us as well so from different sorts of formats so one of the big challenges of the film was to actually get the frame rates and you know like that had such a variety of frame rates and a variety of footage and colors and you know the grade is amazing that we've done to sort of blend it all together but I, sometimes you just have to use cell phone footage because it's just the best shot it's kept at the moment and, which is the key yeah right? and I'm, that's right yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. I went to sleep. <laughs> I had to have a little nap during second of March, so I missed like two hours. Um, yeah, so I've had to borrow footage from other people for that. Okay. Do you do the editing yourself? Have you got your own your own editing gear, and you've sat down mm. and, and done all that work yourself? Uh, whether it be the well, vision and and sound as well, have you you mix the the audio? Um, not my no, not the audio. We've we've had a um, a very one of the best sound mixers and sound designers in the country actually doing the audio mix for us, and that was a five week, um, yeah, five week job. And he had a sound editor as well doing that. So and that's with proper surround sound five point one sound mix. There's no way I could do that, but I I do do the editing for sure. And um, we've had a, a team as well of um, assembly editors and assistant editors right throughout the country. We're working with um, Premiere Pro, which has team projects. So it means that if everybody's got the footage, we, we can all, it doesn't matter where we are in the country, we can sort of log in and follow the, each other's cuts. You know, so I've been sort of, yeah, managing that and doing the most of the editing, but Oh my goodness! It's such initially, we had someone coming in doing all the logging and assembly, sort of dividing everything up, and yeah, which has been really useful. How many hours of footage do you reckon you took to the editing computer? Hundreds. hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Um, what's the what's the running time of the documentary, Gaylene? Well, it's two and two and a half hours, fifty one hundred and fifty four minutes. Okay, so it's it's a good lengthy, gutsy watch, is what you're saying. It, yeah, it, it, it's epic. Um, I, I think I watched Woodstock '99. I don't watch many documentaries when I am editing, but I did watch that one because it's sort of about a failed sort of. I mean, not a failed, but a protest and a or you know, kind of a similar thing that happened. And um, it was three times fifty minutes, and it, and I just binge watched it. I felt. And it didn't really feel like it was a problem. You know, so I do – and there it was divided into three parts. And I wondered whether we could do, a, you know, a three-part if it was a 
going to be sold to a streamer or something like that. But um, it just ends up the way it is. I did have a four and a half hour cut, which I loved, you know, had all the, everyone in there. And so the hardest thing has been being trimming it down and refining it really and losing things you yeah. love. So yeah. when people go uh, for a two and a half hour documentary, is there an intermission or is it a two and a half hour straight watch? It is a two and a half hour straight watch. We have talked about an intermission and I do have a spot where there is an opportunity for intermission, which, you know, we've advised cinemas. So it really is their choice if they want to do that. Okay. Uh, But for the premieres, we're just going to run it. Yeah, very good, very good. Now, you hear so much uh, in the way of, you know, press coverage or see so much press coverage of movie premieres where the stars show up and there's the red carpet and the cameras are flashing and it's on TV and it's in the social pages and the like. Are you guys doing anything remotely like that for your three premieres? Uh, Well, we've got a a photo board (laughs) where everyone can come and take their photo in front of it. But have you invited the Um, mainstream media to come and have a look, I guess is what I'm saying. We have invited some media, yeah, of course. Um, Are they likely to show up, you think? Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't RSVP'd yet. No, no. Yeah, um, we have a really good marketing team over all of that, and um, incredible, Ellie, Shante, Megan, Heidi, Helen, Heidi H, you know, like, uh, they're sort of managing the press and, um, yeah, and getting, making sure we've got photography. Pretty much what we're thinking for the premieres is that it might just inspire people to see it's, there's nothing to be so scared of, <laughs> and, uh and that maybe then people, you know, they can come out and listen and try and understand what what happened and why it happened. And then it might inspire and encourage cinemas to take it on. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, that, that would you know, be fantastic. Forget mainstream yeah. media. Yeah. Uh, but you never know. Somewhere there might be a channel on the very large, you know, digital platforms that we have for, for television these days. You know, there are hundreds, mm. hundreds of channels needing content. Why shouldn't this go on one yeah. of them at some stage? Um, that's right. One day, I mean, you know, part two took two or three years before people accepted it and it was able to be shown and released at more widespread. You know, sometimes these sorts of documentaries just have to take a bit of a change in social conditions before they're understood Absolutely. Yeah, so it, it, yeah. it's something for the future potentially yeah. as well. Do you think the mood of the country has changed significantly towards mandates since that protest finished? I mean, there was an awful lot of anger at the time of March the 2nd, wasn't there? And there was an awful lot of people pushing back against the protesters. But as various facts have emerged about, about COVID-19, about the vaccine, and more particularly people's thinking about their freedoms, do you think that there is a lot more sympathy for the protesters' cause now than there was in March of last year? Um, I can only hope that that's the case. Um, I I have a feeling it is. Um, I know that some people just want to actually forget it because 
Yeah, I know, I, well, politicians <laughs> politicians want to forget it, it don't they? Because their their their, mm-hmm. po- their performance, their behaviour uh, during the time of that protest was well, it was despicable, wasn't it? The fact that they did it was mm-hmm. that they didn't come out of their their building to come and talk to people. It was just extraordinary. And then what Trevor mm-hmm. Mallard as the speaker did to the people on the lawn, I mean, it's just it's mind blowing. Um, unprecedented mm-hmm. in this country's in this country's history. Uh, yeah, all for frankly yeah. a cause that a lot of a lot of people thought was genuine and justified at the time, and indeed, as the the court cases have proved, uh, was justified. I mean, look at the way mm-hmm. that the High Court is ruling towards the mandates against various professional mm-hmm. groups. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, you know, uh, the government behaved despicably and, you know, they violated human dignity, you know, kicking people out of their jobs, um, forcing people to take something they probably knew they didn't really need. Um, So I just, yeah, I think um, beyond just the government behaving despicably, I think uh, there was a lot of harsh judgments from society as well. And I think that's sort of where the um, the healing needs to begin. Um, and maybe maybe, and, uh, and maybe that's this not movie happen until yeah maybe this movie can go quite a long way to start that healing along the track of, uh, well, of doing that. Healing. Yeah, like you, you can't do it until you listen, right? And you you have to be aware and you have to understand. Yeah, and 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 just ignoring it is is not going to happen because some people are unable to return to their career you know some have got ongoing health problems um a lot of people lost their homes and income and they're struggling to rebuild their lives you know the these people are not move, moving forward very fast and um and until that pain is acknowledged it's going to be um you, you I think we'll still see division you know a lot of people feel just left out of society now. I, I'm sort of a little bit not really feeling like participating too much in society <laughs> myself, you know. I'm like, I just, you know, not really want, you know, because it was so immoral and you sort of just lost a little bit of trust and yeah. that people could actually agree with that. And they, New Zealand, I thought New Zealanders were amazing and then they weren't. So... I hope they can be amazing again. I think that is a very good place to end this discussion, this chat, Gaylene. Uh, I think you've made your point fantastically well. And I I hope that after 100, 120,000 New Zealanders, maybe more, have watched your documentary, I hope that people will be amazing again in this country. And that, uh, <laughs> what's that old expression about love to your fellow man? I know it's, uh, <laughs> we, we, we should degender it and say love to your, your fellow human, uh, but maybe there can be much more of that after people have seen this documentary. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. Just treat, treat others like you want to be treated yourself. You know, yeah. it's so simple. <laughs> Thanks. All right, Gaylene. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. You too. Best wishes uh, for this week with the three premieres, and I'm sure it's mm-hmm. going to be a very popular show at uh, theatres near everybody eventually in the next uh, few months around New Zealand. Great talking with you here on Reality Check Radio. Gaylene Barnes, the director of River of Freedom. Thanks. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions. And also, our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference.